Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. This is part number 246. I just like saying that at this point. That's fun. So um, we're in Revelation chapter 12. We started in Matthew chapter 1, 246 meetings together. We are about 10 chapters away from being finished. Um, allowing for holidays and stuff, I'm pretty sure we finish at the end of, in the middle of February, and then we'll start the book of Genesis. And as I have told you all along, we'll work through all of the Old Testament together, which will take another 15 years. And then we'll start again. I guess. That's a long time off. But it's good. It seemed a long time off when we started a five-year run, and here we are. We're at the, we're at the end of that. That's cool. And we've worked our way through uh, the New Testament. I hope that's been helpful for all of you that have done that with us. There's something um, very good about reading the Bible in context. And um, it will help you uh, in your walk um, in understanding how things work together scripturally and keep you from um, hopefully, you know, falling into error when people take Bible out of context. So the, the reason we do it this way is that, that you'll see verses that you really like. You have to make sure they say the same thing in the context that they were originally written because that makes a difference. And we've also looked at, you know, who wrote the books and when they were written and why they were written and who they were written to. All of those things make a difference on um, understanding the Scripture. And so we have worked our way through the Gospels and then we, we, uh, we looked at the Acts of the Apostles and then we... We, uh, we studied the, uh, primarily the ministry of Paul and his missionary journeys uh, and all the letters that he wrote that sprung out of that. And um, now we've, uh, towards the end, you know, you got to you got to hear from James and you got to hear from John uh, again as we're still hearing from him in a few letters and Peter uh, in his two letters. And we, we looked through the letter to the Hebrews and we're not sure who, exactly who wrote that. And it's been a, a fascinating study, I think. Uh, winding up in the book of Revelation, which is a challenging book, um, for a lot of people, and um, uh, and yet a fascinating book, um, a book that that promises you know a blessing to those who who read it and and uh, who spend a little time looking at it. Um, I don't think we can understand it all personally because uh, it's prophetic in nature, and some of it is is yet to uh, sort of happen. Um, at least that's my understanding. There are several major interpretations of. Uh, the way to look at Revelation, there's some that believe all of the events in Revelation have already happened. There's some who believe that it's never, none of it is actually events that are going to happen. It's all symbolic of good and evil. Um, there's some who, um, you know, hold into different tensions of dispensation and that, that it was written for different times in church history. Um, I hold primarily to a futurist view, which means I don't believe that the events have taken place yet, um, you know, primarily that we had the introduction and the letters to the churches and then starting in chapter 4 things begin to change and we're looking at events that have not yet taken place for the most part although today um, there's a little I think flashback that we're going to look at to some events that have already taken place in the cosmic battle that is going on around us um, having said that if you don't agree with something I say that's absolutely fine it's it's not required um, I encourage you to, you know, look into it and study it. And, and if you find things that you don't understand or struggle with, go go dig deeper and look them up. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, different ways to look at the book, and um, I, I certainly think that they're viable and interesting. And and I encourage the study. 
Having said that, remember that the main thing to get out of Revelation is to remember that it's a revelation of Jesus and um, that we want to learn all that we can about him whenever we can about him, wherever we can about him, and and to know throughout the book and to remember that um, he's with us and for us and that he loves us and that um, we can trust in him and, and regardless of what the future holds, he's already got us. Uh, if we're a believer in Him, He, he takes care of, of us for all time. And, and, um, and so that, that oh, you know, supersedes our fears and worries and concerns uh, about anything because we can trust Him. And we know that He's good. And so I, I think it's important to hang on to that. Sometimes when you look at Revelation, because these events are a little, uh, a little heavy. Um, and, and we almost have to condition ourselves not to completely take it all in and I think at some level we're, we're conditioned to do that because the news that breaks around us every day all over the globe is really so horrific that we have to um, we have to take it in at a level and not I mean if we took it in at the depth that we, we could possibly we wouldn't be able to move because um, that's how horrific some of the events that are happening currently are um, imagine that it just exploding onto the entire globe in ways that we can't even imagine, which is what's going to happen in Revelation. So um, you have all those things going on and, and uh, that we have to process. So at some level, we, we are hardened to some of these events because we've been so exposed to them that uh, you know, it, it changes the way that we look at, at everything. Anyway, with that said, we're going to look at Revelation 12 today. And... Um, at the in the middle of Revelation 11, towards the end of Revelation 11, verse 15 in particular, um, the the seventh trumpet was sounded, and the seventh trumpet um, ushers in the seven bowl judgments, which are about to come next, and um, they actually will start happening in chapters 15 and 16. We'll see those, but these chapters 12, 13, 14 um, are sort of an in between little time, and John, um, the, it's revealed to him the conflict between God and the evil one. And in effect, the enemy is seen in all his wickedness, and the nature of evil is exposed. And so we're going to be looking at that over the next several chapters. Um, But um, we'll deal with some of those things in Revelation chapter 12, which is 17 verses. And uh, we'll read them to you now, and then we'll talk about a couple of things uh, briefly together in our time. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed the sun with the moon under her feet and the crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the, na- all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And there was war in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, 
who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not lie their love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So there we go. Um, Revelation chapter 12. Fascinating passage of scripture. I'm just thinking if there's anybody that's like visiting here for the first time might think is this what this church does all the time? It's really not but we're working through it a chapter of time by golly and here it is and uh, that's all good Um, but these verses um, I believe are looking at a cosmic conflict that is underway and it sets some of the foundation um, of what's already happened in the midst of what's about to happen and and uh, John is writing about that. Also remember that the Apostle John is writing um, future events and he's trying to describe things that he's seeing that haven't happened yet and and in a time that he has no um, ability to even process what things might look like, you know, thousands of years ahead of where he's at. And so he's doing the best he can with his descriptions and the pictures that he paints. So um, in this process that we read there, particularly in the first six verses, Uh, The dragon there is the evil one, Satan, the enemy. Um, Satan means accuser, and we understand that that the um, what the enemy has been doing is accusing the brethren from from you know forever. That's that's his deal, and and, um, so that's what Satan actually means is accuser. Um, Seven heads, ten horns, symbolize. They're symbol for something. The seven world empires and the ten kingdoms that will happen now. The seven world empires, for those of you that are in our Bible Institute, you know this from our Sunday night studies in the Old Testament. These seven world empires um, God has used to judge Israel for its um, waywardness throughout its history. You know Israel um, never stayed true to course. Um, from, from the beginning, they've, they've chosen to worship false gods, and that was the issue. And um, because of that, because of their rebellion, um, nations would rise up around them because they didn't obey the promise that they made to God and the covenant with him where he would, you know, absolutely take care of everything for them. Um, these nations were allowed to rise up and to, um, as, a, as a sort of judgment against Israel. And we watched them rise up in time, Egypt first, and then Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then um, it, when we look in Revelation uh, 17, we'll see this this 10 kingdom sort of revived Roman Empire that will take place um, in the future according to the book of Revelation. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to, um, when there was a time when the, uh, what's the, the European, the Union over there, 
they, everybody, people that believe in this stuff are like, oh, that's them, that's that 10-nation Israel thing coming up, and then they went over 10. Um, so now they're going, well, maybe they'll go back to 10. You just don't know who it is, where it is, why it is. So I, I, the problem is we try and make these events fit into the times we understand, and, and then you, you, can't, you can't force them into the times that we understand. There are things taking place right now that, that weren't happening, you know, at different points in history, but still, we, we, we're always trying to force things into happen. And, and you have to remember that we're to live in the tension that Jesus is coming back uh, and that he could come back at any time or he might take lots more time to come back. We don't really know. That's the tension we're called to live in as believers. Uh, and it's important that we live in that tension. Every now and again, someone will come out and say, oh, this is the day that Jesus is coming back. It's happened two or three times since I've been a believer. And, and where big chunks of people believed in it literally and sold their stuff and everything and... Uh, and then it didn't happen. And, and so don't sell your stuff. <laughs> the last one that happened, there was billboards over, and there was one guy who came through here, and he was trying to convince us. I said, dude, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. And, and I, I, I said, well, can I have your stuff? <laughs> and he got mad at me. He had a real nice bicycle. I'm like, let me have your bike. You ain't going to need it. But you, and you know, right? And we've talked about why you, you don't know. Only the Father knows, and I've given you the pictures of that. It's a, it's a wedding picture of the bridegroom getting ready to come back for the bride. And, and only the Father, you know, the, the groom would go and prepare a place for his bride. And he wasn't allowed to determine when it was ready. Only the Father could. And the Father would say, go. And that was a time, trumpet sound, all that's tied in. No one knows but the Father. No one will ever know but the Father. You're not going to figure it out. So, but when it comes, you'll know. As a believer, I have some people say, oh, how do I, don't worry, you're going to know. It's one of those things where I can just promise you, you will know. And that's a good thing. So these, these kingdoms uh, are, um, are, are, are all in arms here in the process as part of this conflict. And the enemy has been able to work through them and still has never been able to take completely out Israel um, because God is honoring a covenant with David um, and his family, even though family's a big mess. Um, the enemy uh, and a third of the, the stars, when it talks about those stars, it's not talking about literal stars. Literal stars is talking about fallen angels. Um, they're, they're thrown out of heaven. Um, and um, then the events that you read about as we get to verse 5 and stuff is, is most likely a picture of the first coming of Jesus. And, and um, so events that have happened, it's sort of a tossback starts in heaven, then in earth. And the woman with the 12 crowns in, in the verses there is Israel. 12 tribes of Israel, um, and um, uh, Israel is compared in, in the Old Testament to a married woman um, in places like in, in the book of Hosea. If you, we just studied that in our Bible Institute on Sunday nights. If you go and look at Hosea, you'll see how, um, how Israel is, is compared to a married woman, and um, Israel, um, you know, in its in and out and back and forth ways, has, had been waiting um, for the promised Messiah. And so this was, this was what's going on there. And the son that will rule all nations with an iron scepter is Jesus um, in the process because we know from the Bible that he's the only one who's, who's defined that way. Revelation 19.15, you can write it down, says, Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And this is Jesus coming back on the white horse. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Back in Psalm, Psalm 2.9, you will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Um, 
Uh, we see this picture in Genesis 3.15 of the son being born to the woman. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3.15, in case you ever study it, is the beginning of what's known biblically as the crimson thread. From that time forward, you can see um, this promise of Jesus coming, and you can watch the enemy trying to make it stop wherever he can. At every point and turn, he is trying to make it stop, and he can't do it. Um, so it's a fascinating study. If you go through there, we did that in our Bible Institute. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. Um, you remember at the events of that time, Herod, King Herod was motivated by the enemy to kill the Savior of the world. Um, and in Matthew two thirteen through 20, you might want to look at this later. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Herod, prompted by the enemy, you know, again, you see it again. The enemy was constantly trying to put an end to this promise of God, of redemption for us um, in Christ. And, um, and you see him trying to find Herod, goes all over, kills, kills all the newborns, you know, in an area trying to find him. And then... Uh, Jesus is finally able to go back after another dream to Joseph in Egypt. Um, the wilderness it's talked about there where the woman goes, that's a representation of spiritual protection for believers from the evil one. Evil one. Um, you need to know that. I, I mentioned that in the intro. Um, once you're in Christ, you're, 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 you're protected from, from the enemy. Now, it doesn't mean that you get a pass on fallen world stuff, broken planet stuff. We all, that, that's part of the deal. But you're eternal life which begins when you know Jesus is settled in him and so we we don't need to be afraid of events and circumstances it doesn't mean that they're not difficult sometimes it just means we don't need to be afraid of them because you're you're good if you're in Christ you're good and and uh, that so things are just things around you and uh, too often we get we get um, culturally overwhelmed by events and circumstances and and we forget that we're settled in Christ. And once you're settled in Christ, it's going to be all right. Um, doesn't mean, like I said, it's not a pass on difficult things. It's just a promise of, of your, your eternal destiny with the Lord, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, uh, and so he prepares this place for those who believe in him, this, this protection, if you would, is a symbol that, that you can rest in. And he's got you, regardless of what the enemy's doing or who's pursuing you or anything else. Then um, in the second half of the chapter, from verses 7 on, it says there was a war in heaven in verse 7 and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back Michael um, seems to be the big archangel that kind of watches out for Israel he's involved in stuff um, Daniel sees this same event back in Daniel 12 um, verses 1 through 4 at that time Michael the great prince who protects your people will arise written to the people of Israel there will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then but at that time your people everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life others to shame and everlasting contempt those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever but you Daniel close up and seal the words of the, the, words of the scroll until the time of the end Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. So Daniel um, is a great 
study as well. If you, if you go back and look at Daniel and think about where you're at in Revelation and the events that tie in, there's very fascinating things happening. And it's a picture of um, the reality that there's a lot going on behind the scenes at Christ's birth, death, and resurrection. So there was, a, there was a lot of spiritual battle and warfare taking place throughout then and through now. And what you need to know, though, is at the cross, the enemy was defeated. Um, you'll hear me say this all the time on the weekends. He was rendered virtually powerless at the cross because he's been defeated at that point in time. However, until Jesus comes back, he still has um, room to operate and, and um, even diminished in power, he's still got plenty. Um, uh, he just kind of resorts now to tricks and schemes and traps um, because he wants to keep as many people in, in darkness and bondage as he can, and he doesn't want to see you enjoy the life that you're called to. And so that's what he's going to do until Jesus comes back, is pursue you not having the full and abundant life you were called to. He wants to steal that from you. And he wants to keep the people who don't yet know Jesus blinded to the truth. And so that, that's what he does. And what he uses are, like I said, tricks, traps, schemes, deceptions, distractions. He uses fear. He uses worry. He uses shame. He uses guilt. He uses whatever he can think of to keep people away from the truth so that they don't come to know Jesus and aren't set free. And, and that's the enemy. And, and you, you, you have a defeated enemy that just hasn't, given up yet and won't until the end um, it's sort of like um, in World War II um, after D-Day the enemy knew they were done but they fought on for as long as they could until they just couldn't fight on anymore we have the same situation with a defeated foe who yet still has and, and can, can you know, still inflict damage where he can and, uh, and so his, his desire is to deceive as many as he can and we need to be aware of that happening in verse 10 it says and I heard a loud voice in heaven say now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. They did not love their, loves, love their lives so much as a string from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in Him. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you and he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. So he's here and he's hacked. So, that's okay. Because if you're in Christ, you're good. And you don't have to succumb to his tricks, or his traps, or his deceptions. And you don't have to give in to fear and worry. And, and uh, we, we have to be aware of that. And that one day very soon, he will be bound forever. And that will be that. Um, and the, the rest of the women's offspring in verse 17, it's either um, referring to Jewish believers at that point or all of the believers that have come to Christ during the tribulation period up to that point. And depending on your take of where the church is at this point in time, either we've gotten to miss this thing or we're some, this had been midpoint somewhere, we're halfway through it or we're going to deal the whole thing. There's, there's a promise that God's going to be with us and for us in there. All of that being said, um, the Apostle Paul reminds us that, that even though we may not see all these things happening, we're all involved in a spiritual battle. We never need to be afraid of that battle. And he gives us great advice on how to deal with it in Ephesians 6. 10 through 18, um, and you guys should know this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand uh, and, and stand your ground. And after you've done everything then to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And Paul says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So we're in the midst of a spiritual battle uh, as believers. It's part of the deal. We don't need to be afraid. We've been given the armor of God to take a stand and stand we will until Jesus comes back. And uh, that's what we're waiting on is his return. But we want to we wanna redeem that time by glorifying and honoring him and being a people of mission and purpose till he returns. So uh, that's good for Revelation 12. We'll pick up the rest of it next week. Uh, we'll get to Revelation 13. If you're watching by video, thank you very much. You're on television. Appreciate you doing that. Come and visit. We'd love to see if you need prayer. Go to the website. Send us a prayer request. We will get back to you. Keysvineyard.com. That's good for now.